This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line? Touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, they're all included, as well as all the films that come out from Walt Disney Productions. Uh, And unfortunately, that means all of them, as we will get into this evening. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find the show notes for this very show. You can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews and even content reviewing shorts all the way back to the 1920s. So make sure you go and check that out over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film experts. First of all, the man who is known to call himself not the world's greatest athlete, but the world's greatest mathlete, Mr. Todd Perlmutter. I was pretty good at math in school. I had no doubt of that. Yeah, I used to sleep in math class, wake up, and answer the questions on the board. I, that also does not surprise me. And, of course, joining us, as always, we have Miss Rachel Kolb from all over the Internet. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing great. Uh, just a reminder to people, by the time this is up, my Tribeca Film Festival coverage will be up, so you can definitely check that out. And I also wanted to mention real quick, um, I had brought up on our James and the Giant Peach episode about uh, the Pasek and Paul musical version of James and the Giant Peach. And as it turns out, they have made the entire album available for free online from the creators of it. Um, it's, I, will, I will put the, uh, I'll get the link for the show notes, but it's entirely free and it's a really amazing cast. So I definitely recommend checking that out and getting that downloaded. Awesome. And of course, our fine producer who keeps things going around here and keeps us on task and on schedule. And uh, she wants me to note, did not uh, schedule the movie. This was a listener request. Uh, that is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter. I'm doing good. Um, I've been looking at recycled art all day. It's been exciting. That that sounds exciting. There are I some think. creative cast members out there. Check out On okay. the Go and MCO. Um, about two, three weeks from today, <laughs> three weeks from when you're listening, go back. Prior. Prior. <laughs> and and you'll and you'll see all the stuff that I found for Earth Day. Awesome. Very cool. All right, uh, so no need to linger here because we are talking this evening about 1973, released on Valentine's Day, which I think is a cruel joke. Uh, The World's Greatest Athlete from Walt Disney Productions, distributed by Buena Vista Distribution, as all the Disney films were in those days. Uh, This is a film that you're not going to find on uh, DVD or getting a Diamond Edition box set anytime soon. (laughs) <laughs> or no, ever no no, no. <laughs> it, it, it does have a Disney distinction 
Okay. It, it was the first. It was the first movie released in the fiftieth year of Disney releasing movies. That's unfortunate. Yep. Uh, it stars John Amos, Roscoe Lee Brown, D- Dale Haddon, and Jan Michael Vincent, all of whom are people that you know that you don't realize you know. <laughs> would probably be the best way to put it. Roscoe Lee Brown is our um, Spider-Man connection. Sweet. Um, apparently he did the voice of Kingpin, Wilson Bisk, um in the 1995-1998 Spider-Man TV series. Which was a great cartoon. And he's also done a couple of other video- um, voices for... Kingpin. That's amazing since he doesn't sound like a kingpin. <laughs> doesn't sound like a kingpin. He also uh, voiced uh, kingpin in the video games as well, I think, is where the other voices are. Oh, very cool. Yeah, probably the person who has had the most enduring career of this was Tim Conway, uh, who you know appeared in Apple Dumpling Gang and then, of course, on TV and many other things. Uh, he's probably the best known actor today from here, but all of these guys were very well-known character actors. Jim Michael Vincent had played many roles, serious roles actually, before, uh, taking on the role of Nanu. Yes. Yeah. Nanu. Nanu. <laughs> Nanu. Nanu. Sorry. Yeah. He, uh, it's funny. Uh, Jim Michael Vincent, I read an uh, interview with him and he said that he really enjoyed making this movie because it was so lighthearted. Because, like, I think the prior film to this, he played a serial killer. Right. Yeah, he, he had, that was the thing, is, like, I think this had to have been a departure because all the reviews and things that I read just in the very little research that I was able to, to do on this, uh, everyone was like, why exactly did he do this movie? Because this is very out of character from his previous films. It uh, did well in the theaters, though. Because he yeah. could? I guess so. I guess, like Todd said, he wanted a little break from the uh, the heavier stuff. I have a suspicion it, why they did it on Valentine's Day, because of the lovely love story that's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's get this out of the way right now. There is no story in this movie. <laughs> no. there, are, there are several little things that are alluded to, but in the end, there's not much of a story. No. There's a thread that ties it, everything yeah. together. Yeah. There's one thing that that moves the plot forward, such as it is, and I use the word plot very loosely, and pretty much they go, hey, this would be interesting if these two fell in love, but they don't. I mean, they do in the movie, but you don't want to get to see it. <laughs> in fact, yep. at the at the end, had he not had she not gotten been at the airport to get on the plane with him at the end, I know, look, I jumped right to the end already, which means we're done, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> he... He doesn't even, when he wins the competition, she's nowhere to be seen. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is an example of, of dropped threads, and this is like a, a class in how not to screenwrite. <laughs> or make a motion picture. It's really amazing that this movie exists, period. I mean, this is really one of those cases where you look at this movie and you just wonder, how did this happen? What was that pitch <laughs> yes. meeting like? Very much so. <laughs> and and I, I want to be in like a fly on the wall in, in the moment when they had to tell Tim Conway, so in this scene, you're going to be in a giant purse. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you're you're going to climb this home. Um, yeah, this, this is what's going to happen to your character. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I said to Cheryl, I said, I just want to let you know that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was not the first movie involving a shrinking person that Disney made. Yeah. (laughs) 
But like you were saying earlier, Todd, it did well at the box office. Like it made a decent amount of money, especially for 1973. It was like what yeah, over it, 22 million. 22 million total, but it made 10 million its opening weekend in 1973, which is crazy. People must That's, have been bored that weekend. Yeah, apparently there were a lot of people avoiding Valentine's Day because I cannot imagine taking your significant other to see this. In fact, if my significant other took me to see this. I think she might not be my significant other anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It it didn't do so well when it got re-released in 1981, though. No, I don't imagine so. Uh, Because here's the thing, right? So the the basic idea here is that Nanu the Jungle Boy, played by Jan Michael Vincent, is going to be the world's greatest athlete and compete in, like, all the sports, right? So that's... Silly enough, but, I mean, we've had sillier premises for Disney comedies, right? Indeed. We had a whole Disney comedy based on the fact that the couple got a dog. So, you know, at least this is high concept, right? Or got a ski lodge. Correct. (laughs) This one manages to mix the high concept silliness of that with a complete lack of story and some incredible racism. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Lots of racism. Yeah. Like I don't like to the point that I'm watching this now and cringing and I'm going, in nineteen seventy three, coming off of the civil rights movement and all the things that happened in the sixties, I'm surprised there weren't protesters. Well, did anyone see um Floyd Norman's post about this movie, about the making of this movie? No. No. Because he said that this was significant in Disney because it was really one of the first times that they had a significant number of black extras in the crowd scenes. Hmm. And apparently Tim Conway um, had quite a fun time making as... As they were credited in the African natives, he there was this scene where he kept having to run up and give them some bad news, and every time he would just decide to you know to mess with them, and he would get them cracking up, and they'd have to do the scene again. That's pretty typical, Tim Conway. Yes, stuff yeah, and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. And I, appar- apparently, um, a Floyd Norman joked to everyone that was around that Disney had come a long way since Song of the South. <laughs> You mean despite the fact that John Amos is the one making half the slave references? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fact that like Roscoe Lee Brown, like we said, you you know who he is when you see him, but you you get you probably don't you know hearing the name, you're probably going to not know him. Like he was a pretty distinguished character actor at this point, and he appears in full witch doctor garb, and at one point has a bone through his nose. <laughs> yep. That's not that's not okay. But anyway, um, so let's let's discuss the the, and I use this term very loosely, plot as it is termed on Wikipedia. <laughs> in in bigger letters, too. Yeah, yeah. Because I, it, it's funny. I go on Wikipedia right and look at the plot, and then I kind of add my own things in here and stuff. I looked at the plot right up on Wikipedia and other sites, and I went, I don't think you watched the same movie that I did. <laughs> Because, like, so let me read the first line here of, of, of the plot description from Wikipedia, and then I'll tell you what I saw. Uh, the first line says here, in a series of establishing shots, Sam Archer and his assistant Milo Jackson are depicted as coaches at the fictitious Maryvale College. Their teams invariably lose. All of that is true. 
it does not begin to describe what seems like an interminable 20 minute montage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that ends with the band playing music and then being as inept as the rest of the sports team. <laughs> right. So basically what it is, yep. is they go through the football team, the basketball team, the baseball team, and the track and field team, who are all coached by the same people, no matter the fact that they're – and apparently they're all in season at the exact same time. Let's not worry about the logic there because that's the least of the logical fallacies in the film. Also, I do want to say one thing. The only team that was successful at all were the cheerleaders who didn't, like, have any problems. That's true. That's very true. And so, like, every, what happens every time is they go into the locker room or the dugout or wherever. Whenever there's a break in the action, and John Amos, Sam Archer, gives this speech of how it doesn't matter that we're down by six touchdowns, 52 runs, whatever. Uh, we can still come back. We just got to believe in ourselves. The guys always get up and either run into each other or do the shower. Or the run shower into the shower. Or something that that shows that they literally cannot function in society. <laughs> not only should they not have football uniforms on, they should have handlers to take them from class to class. My favorite is when the crew shell team sinks their crew shell. Yes. <laughs> uh, my personal favorite is when he gives the final one, uh, when they go through, like, again, they go through this, like, five of these little vignettes. Um and then the last one is he gives them the speech and they run out to go play even though the game is over. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I also like how each sport is his life's dream. <laughs> yes. <he> <laughs> um, but what I love is the fact that you know we're making fun of this part of the movie. It's at least 10 minutes long. This is only a 90-minute movie. I, we really established that this guy cannot coach. And then we go back to the original one, which was football. So apparently he's gone through an entire season of losing, and it takes them until then to fire him. Losing everything, not just the one sport, yeah. as you said. Yeah, literally, like, he lost every sport. Every game, every sport. And they're like, gee, maybe we should not keep this guy around. But he doesn't fire, he resigns. Well, he's about to get fired. Yes. So instead of getting fired, he resigns and tears up uh, the contract of his assistant Milo instead of his own. <laughs> well, and then he heads to Africa. Yeah, well, the worst part of this is that was my favorite part of the whole movie was that first montage. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that part was at least somewhat funny. All right. It went on too long, but it was a little funny. Uh, and a little, I will stress. And, yes, so he decides to go on vacation to Africa because apparently when you coach every sport, you can afford trips to Africa. Well, it's okay because Africa in the movie is really the Lion Country Safari that used to be out in California but is now closed. Ah, okay. So he really didn't have to go that far? No. No, okay. Because it's it's like right near where Disneyland used to be is where it was. So There you go. So he goes to Africa, and they are sitting there, quote-unquote, relaxing, and they see a cheetah run by, and they say, oh, wow, that cheetah's very fast. And the uh, the guide that they're with comes up and says, oh, not as fast as Nanu. And then they see Jan Michael Vincent's character, Nanu, outrunning the cheetah, which I would like to point out is impossible. <laughs> yep. Running against green screen. Yes. 
Well, that's how he's winning. Yes, that's true. I think I can. I am faster than a green screen cheetah. Everybody is. Yeah. What well, depends depends on who's running the green screen, of course. But yeah. yeah. So when they see this, they of course think, or the coach of course thinks. You and I would think, wow, that's pretty amazing. The coach, of course, thinks I can recruit this guy and he can be a athlete for me and I can get my job back that I resigned. Yeah, by daydreaming him being in all the sports that he coaches. Right. Or doesn't coach anymore. I... <laughs> yeah, we never address that fact. He just comes back to the States with Nanu, and, which we'll talk about how he, get, how he gets there. But he just comes back to the States with Nanu and all of a sudden he's still coaching. Never mind. Let's just gloss over the fact that he quit. Don't worry about it. Well, they probably didn't get anybody else to come. <laughs> That's probably true. Kind of like the Muppets. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. And so he's, he's trying to figure out. A, he goes to Nanu, offers him, says, hey, you should come back with me because, you know, I can make you a star and you could be the world's greatest athlete on this, uh, you know, competing for me. And Nanu says, no, thank you. But then he learns of this tribal custom. And this, this was my <laughs> least favorite part of the movie because he learns of this tribal custom where if you rescue a man's life, then the person who rescued him has to go with him wherever he goes. Yes. It's responsible for his life is how it's explained. Right. Point of order. Wouldn't it make more sense the other way around? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they may have gotten it backwards. I think there might have been something lost in translation there. I don't know. <laughs> but so then he spends like the next, what, 10 to 15 minutes trying to get himself into death traps. Yes. Yeah. At, at one point they even do the he's black so he can't swim joke, which yeah. I, yeah. I could not believe that they did that. that that's what I said. It, and, and it's not just that. It's it's it's. That it's John Amos, who actually was a huge proponent at the time for black rights. Right. <laughs> can we mention the one women's rights artist section they, they had in here? It's like random. Oh, the we're, random we're women are bound by tribal law. <laughs> right. And then Tim Conway's like, you should change that. And he's like, shut up. But I'm just like, that's so random in this movie. It's like, even, you know. Yeah. It, it, to be honest, Cheryl, most of the stuff is random. It's. It, I, I feel like they basically – what I thought of when I was watching this movie is like – we've talked about like in the old days when Walt and team would put together a, an animated feature like Snow White or Pinocchio or whatever. They would just write out the gags that they wanted to see and then they would figure out how to connect them. I think that's what they did here. Like they just said, hey, how can we get a tiger – to be a person in a scene with Tim Conway. <laughs> because these are things you say. Right. Well, I mean, who, who's not been there, right? I wake up every night going, oh, Tim Conway. Yeah. Oh, completely. And, and I typically think, like, oh, how can I throw John Amos in a pit with a tiger and have Jan Michael Vincent rescue him? <laughs> I mean, really, that's, these are the questions that try men's souls. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, what, what he, tries, he tries to swim, and he's drowning, and he gets thrown into a pit, until finally he just pretends that he's sick. 
on a whim. Yeah. He finally just pretends he's sick, and Nanu takes him to his godfather. Takes him? He takes ten minutes to run across Africa with him on his shoulder. <laughs> True. <laughs> he takes him to his godfather, Gazinga. Gazinga. Uh, who is Roscoe Lee Brown's character. Gazinga is... awful. <laughs> <laughs> Both as a character... And as a stereotype and just, like, just, as my wife would say, a world of no to Gazinga. (laughs) (laughs) World of no. (laughs) Just, like, all the wrong that there is is encapsulated right there in Gazinga. (laughs) It's very bad is what I'm saying. It is very bad. Yeah. Though colorful at the same time. Yes. And There's a the lot worst, of feathers. Yeah. The worst part is he's probably the most interesting character in the whole thing. <laughs> Other than Harry the Tiger? I, yes. Her, I think Harry the Tiger's emotional motivations are more clear. He's also a very good character actor, Harry. So. Yeah, Harry's, Harry's been in a lot. You've seen him everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, so they take him to Gazinga, and Gazinga keeps like doing witch doctor stuff to... John Amos's character, whose name I've already forgotten, Sam. Wait, but uh, before he does the witch character stuff, he he does the other, he does the killing. That's right. He he, he basically poisons <laughs> two guys for several days to punish them. Right. For no for no real reason that we can tell. Well, they they lied to get out of work. That was near as I could tell from the explanation. As far as we know, Gazinga is a known liar. <laughs> also, not a nice guy. No. And so, yeah, he does the witch doctoring stuff. He's, like, painting his chest and things. So, basically, the whole the scam here is that uh, Coach Archer wants Nanu to run back to the camp, get his aspirin, and bring it back, and therefore he will have saved his life, right? Because he can take a couple aspirin, he can be fine, all that kind of stuff. But while Nanu is doing this, Gazinga is, like, doing all sorts of horrible things to him. He's hanging him upside down. <laughs> He's painting him. He's like feeding him some sort of broth and, you know, all these things that I'm just sitting there going, why is this taking so long? <laughs> he does say that he, if in like the next scene, he says he is playing Archer. He's, he's basically tricking Archer into taking him. Yes. But when you're watching it in the interminable time that it takes for this to happen, you still wonder, <laughs> why is this going on? <laughs> Yeah, but so, yeah, Nanu comes back with the aspirin. He has then saved the coach's life, and he has to go with the coach. Uh, and as they are le- as as the coach is leaving and Nanu is left, Gazinga confides to his assistant that, yes, I know that it was a trick, but I think Nanu needs to see the world. Let's keep that in mind. <laughs> because he completely goes against what he just said in the second part of the movie. Well, he does say if harm is to come to him, then then there will be trouble. Right. He completely goes what against what he just said. Like, <laughs> well, sort of. I mean, Leopold convinces him that things are going that that there is harm. Uh, don't get me started on Leopold. I can't. I, I can't <laughs> you can't even with Leopold. <laughs> no. He just he just sort of pops up and he's like, "I hate the Tarzan guy." There, I said it. I mean, that's basically his whole motivation. <laughs> that is his motivation. Yeah. 
So, yeah, Nanu comes back, and it's a big news story that Nanu is going to come and compete. Um, he comes back uh, with the coach, and they show there's the establishing shots that, yes, he is, in fact, a good athlete. Uh, and we establish this. My favorite is when he pole vaults through the ceiling of the gym uh, and then back through the ceiling. Uh, <laughs> but he's okay. He's fine. No worries there. Yeah, well, later on in the movie, when he pole vaults again, he's not as capable. <laughs> N- no. Even when he's no longer under the spell, he's not as capable. No. He's basically Bugs Bunny. <laughs> In some I mean, ways. He, that's what he is. But he's basically Bugs Bunny. Uh, and then we get introduced to his, he needs a tutor because he has to be a college student to compete uh, because of those strict NCAA regulations about bringing over people from Africa in loincloths. I don't know that they have a regulation about that, but I'm guessing they do. We forgot Harry, though. We forgot Harry's scene. Harry's the, Harry in disguise. Sneaking oh, in yes, you're right, you're right. Oh, home. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So you guys were watching this the other day and tweeting back and forth about it. And I was getting cracked up because I had already seen it. And, yes, it's Harry the Tiger has to come with Nanu. Uh, and the, apparently the coach and Milo live in a boarding house. So they have... Apparently, Coach prioritizes his money to spend on African safaris instead of his living quarters. That's what I took away from this. Well, the Disney live-action movies of the 70s have this thing about people living in boarding houses. I think there's a deeper thing there that we're not going to (laughs) touch. But, I mean, if you think about it, right, there's always a border somewhere in all those movies. Yeah. Many, many reviews that I read said that it was a little odd that the coach and his assistant lived together and went on vacation together. <laughs> Which I agree with. I think that was strange. But I, 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 I did want to say that Mrs. Peterson was, uh, was uh, Rosie from the Bounty commercials. Oh, okay. I knew I recognized her from something. Yep. All right. Yeah, so they have to sneak Harry the Tiger in because they are, there are no pets allowed. And I'm also thinking no ravenous, vicious wild animals would apply under the pet umbrella. <laughs> well, fortunately, Mrs. Peterson is also blind. Right. So they dress Harry the Tiger up in a trench coat to sneak him past Mrs. Peterson, who cannot see, and, uh, and you know take him up to Nanu's room. And apparently they can get away with this. Because Harry the Tiger is just a sweetheart. Even though there's a, there's a part later in the movie where he's wrestling with Nanu. And, like, he literally has Nanu's head in his teeth. <laughs> and I was going, like, are we going to watch Jam Michael Vincent get eaten? Live? I was trying to figure out if it was always Jam Michael Vincent or not. It looked like the tiger was going to eat that guy. I, I agree. And, and that's in the movie. <laughs> it is. Like, like, nobody turned the camera off and went, hey, maybe we should not have the tiger eat our lead actor. <laughs> I don't think they felt like that back then. <laughs> I don't think they did. Well, they had to have thought back then because Jodie Foster had just gotten bitten. And, and they didn't care then. And yes, Jodie Foster did get mauled in a Disney movie with a tiger. But they, and they still didn't care. Or is it a lion? I think it's actually a lion in, in a horror movie, right? I think you're right. All we needed was bear. For, dead bear. We would have a, a triple, triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
but okay, so Nanu goes to school and he does all the different sports. He learns all the sports. He's apparently very good at them. Hence the title of the movie. And I call we this get regular sports learning montage. <laughs> yeah, right. And so he gets we, but we get introduced to Jane, the supposed love interest. And of course, this is playing off of Nanu being a Tarzan-like figure. He even speaks like Tarzan in the third person, which he I even, think some of us he, even said, all the time. He even says, "Me, Nanu, you, Jane." Yeah, which is painful. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Uh, but she decides that she wants. She wasn't sure she wanted to teach him until she looks at his flowing blonde hair and deep blue eyes. And then all of a sudden, she's very interested in teaching him. In quotes. It, yes. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, because we have the biology lesson next. I... <laughs> right, yeah. She teaches him biology about like, oh, well, when you, when you uh, want to grab something, you move your muscles and he grabs her hand or she gives him her hand and all this. Like it's, it's, it's not subtle is what I'm saying. Also the romantic music. (laughs) 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 There's a lot of romantic music in their scenes. That's what's pointed out to us by our roommates. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of implication in these scenes. And what did that our roommate offered to call in and be on the be a guest this so she could laugh hilariously at this movie. <laughs> that was gonna be her review. <laughs> That's pretty much all you could do. Did you guys see who did the music for this movie? No. The, uh, oh I did see this. Yes. I Marvin Hamlish. Yes. <laughs> what? Yes. He got winner, Marvin Hamlish. The man who wrote uh, a chorus line, which actually re- just recently, like last week, celebrated its 40th anniversary. Yeah, Marvin Hamlish did the music for this movie. Oh. Interesting. Which, by the way, you can find on Buena Vista Records number F491 for people who are looking for it. I'm sure there are a ton of people going right now. Oh, yeah, they're all, they're all on it, right? Somebody's like, always interested in that stuff. Somebody goes on eBay and goes click. Yeah, so so this is the point in the movie where I'm reading the, the again, the Wikipedia plot summary. Um, let me just read this to you and see if this matches up with what you guys saw. Um, <laughs> Nanu's innocence, Coach Archer's scheming, Jackson's ineptitude, Gazinga's out, outraged wisdom, and the Machiavellian plotting of the villains all play roles in the action as the movie heads towards the final track meet. <laughs> it no. takes a really long time to get there. It, it really does, and and I would like to point out the Machiavellian pl- plotting of the villains. I I only saw one. <laughs> Two, if you count Gazinga. Gazinga is like half a villain, but we don't know. He's he's a villain. He's not. Then he is. Then he's not. My favorite Gazinga scene is when he's at the meeting with all the doctors and he's telling the really bad jokes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like the, the movie's about Nanu, right? Like that's that's the idea. Is like it's about the coach and Nanu, and that's where your focus should be, right? Anybody who's written screenplays will tell you that. Like even though you can go, you, you can go look at the villain for a few minutes. You just want to get enough about what the character's motivation is. But most of the time, you need to, your the camera needs to be on those two guys. That scene you're talking about, I swear they spent like 10 minutes with Gazinga just walking around a room with people who are doctors and him telling them bad jokes. And I'm going, what, what, what's happened? What, what are we doing? 
<laughs> it was uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, so we talked about Leopold briefly, uh, but he comes into the movie because of Jane, at least ostensibly because of Jane. We don't ever actually see the two of them talk. Yes. Also, also the strange love montage with Nanu Jane and Harry. Uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That was the, disturbing. The mo- <laughs> yeah, the moment when Jane realizes that Nanu is a pet hoarder. <laughs> well, he's more in love with Harry the tiger than he is with Jane. True. Let's, let's just let's just call it call it what it is. I mean, that's the truth. They well, even make she that kisses them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it changes. <laughs> I, I, I gotta admit, I did get a kick out of that shot when when they're sitting on the bench and Harry's just laying across between the two of them, <laughs> and she is not amused. <laughs> no. Yeah, we do get a strange love montage, you're correct. But yeah, Leopold comes into the picture. Apparently he has never spoken to Jane, uh, but he's madly in love with her, and Nanu is in the way. And so he comes up with this scheme... To somehow contact Gazinga and get Gazinga to come to the United States by saying that Coach Archer is abusing him, abusing Nanu. He has caused him great harm and that he's going to be in the spotlight because he's going to go try and win all these events at this track meet. I I did not see the great harm. I also have a problem with – so, so we assume they just take the coach back because they don't have money, right? But yet they can pay for the guy to go from South Africa to the conference. Yes. That's a little bit a little bit too much. It's if you try if you start picking at the plot holes in here, pretty much you're not going to have much left. <laughs> it's just not it, yeah, you're not going to have anything left when you start taking away Oh, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Pretty much all you're going to be left with is the beginning montage <laughs> and Nanu running around the track at the end, which quite honestly could have been better. Nanu running around? That Well, that, that could have been a better movie, I'm saying. Make it a 20-minute movie. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, Leopold gets Gazinga to come to the United States, and we forget about Nanu completely for like 10 minutes while Kazinga tells bad jokes to the doctors because they want to hear about his witch doctoring philosophy. Also, you forgot to mention that uh, famed announcer Frank Gifford is the one who's in Africa interviewing Kazinga as himself. Yeah. All of the ABC wide world of sports people are in this movie, foreshadowing, I guess, Disney's acquisition of them. Actually, uh, there there also is a movie that steals from this. Um... We all remember Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> oh. Yes, indeed. Yes. And, the, and, and so they do the same gag with the announcer. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Cheryl's right. If you watch the scene between Howard Cosell and I can't remember who the other guy is at the end, and you watch the scene of the announcer in Angels in the Outfield and his buddy at, when they're like at the point of winning, it's like the same scene. Oh, well, they, they, first they stole it for Major League. <laughs> And then Angels in the Outfield stole it from Major League. No, I think they all stole it from World Series Athlete. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Major League stole it from here. Although, to be fair, Howard Cosell was known for that sort of thing in real life. Yes. And he always made fun of it in like every movie he ever had a cameo in. Indeed he did. Because he, he knew he did it on purpose. Yes. 
because he was a very egotistical man. Yeah, but at least he owned it. it he did. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so they go to the track meet, uh, and they're staying in a hotel, and Coach Tim Conway is in a bar where Gazinga walks in, and he gets very concerned that Gazinga is there, and then Gazinga shrinks him and leads to the most terrible five to ten minutes of comedy <laughs> I have ever seen on film. Because it's Tim Conway, like, in a drink and trying to climb out of the drink on a straw, and then he falls in a lady's purse, and, like, it adds absolutely nothing to the movie. But it it's... cost half the budget of the movie to make this. I have section. no doubt. Because, because all the props had to be made as, real, as life-size versions of whatever they were. But am I wrong that it's not funny? No, because it, it goes on too long. Yeah. Well, and, and, like, he doesn't, like, because he's small and they don't want his, like, helium voice going on, he doesn't get to say anything. He doesn't get to interact with other people. Like, that's one of Tim Conway's best things is his, his facial expressions and things like that. Just watching him try to climb out of a glass of whatever that was is not funny. This scene really confused Eric when we were watching this because he had, the uh, Gazinga has this throwaway line about how it's all in your head. And so Eric was like, well, okay, is this in his head or is he actually this small? And I'd be like, no, he actually did shrink him down. He's just messing right. with him. But I don't understand why they threw that line in because it makes the whole scene even more confusing as to I, why it's happening. I agree. It does not make any sense because he says that right at the beginning. Like, I can make you believe you're three inches tall. But then you have to climb out of the glass that he falls into <laughs> when he gets shrunk. So is he three inches tall yep. or not? Own up to it, Gazinga. Yeah. The The only explanation for this scene is it was the 70s. We don't know what was going on when the, the cameras weren't rolling. I got a pretty good idea. And it's not legal <laughs> is what I'm going to say. Yeah. Now, I think through the entirety of this film, there were substances ingested by the cast and crew that would – cause them to be arrested i'm gonna make that i'm gonna allege that again because it was the 70s um then nanu finds out about gazinga being there before coach archer can stop him uh and apparently without the two of them talking nanu decides he's not going to compete in the track meet Any, did anyone understand that nope well it, it, the motivation for it didn't make a lot of sense. All I got was he had, I thought it was rumor. I thought he, he had heard it from somebody, so that's why, you know, somebody told him that Gazinga was there and not happy, so. Well, and well, then my other question is, like, what was the great harm that was being done to Nanu? There was none. It was a, it was a first. But... <laughs> Like I couldn't, it was like I I couldn't figure out what Gazinga was seeing or what uh, Leopold was telling him. Like, oh look, he's gonna be in he's gonna be in big trouble if he competes in this track meet. Why? He didn't understand it, so it doesn't matter. It matters to me, Cheryl. <laughs> no, I'm saying he didn't. Gazinga didn't understand it, so so it's like he didn't understand what he the Nana was doing. Let's just look at the best things about this movie for a minute. One, saying the word Gazinga over and over again. Fair point. <laughs> and two, getting to say Harriet the Tiger over and over again. <laughs> Those are the redeeming qualities, and they kind of end there. 
So I don't, let's just not read too deeply into it, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Fair. Fair enough. Yeah, it, well, then Coach Archer talks Nanu into going to the track meet. Uh, he gives him a, a version of the speech that he gave at the very beginning about how it's his life's dream and all that stuff. Uh, so they go to the track meet. It's the NCA Track and Field Championships. Howard Cosell is narrating this, which I would point out would never have happened in the 70s, nor would it have been on TV. It's also the 50th NCAA championship, supposedly, if you check the sign in the middle of it. Yes. And so not, the whole idea here is that Nanu is going to compete in every event. So he competes in the first event and wins, and then if you know how track and field works, like you, you run a race and then you have time in between races where you can do like the shot put and the javelin and all the other you know, long jump and the ones that are not running, basically, the field events, if you will. And so as he's getting – he finishes the first race, and as he's getting ready to do some of the other races, Gazinga and Leopold show up uh, to sit in the stands. And no one questions the fact that Gazinga has a giant headdress and all of these sorts of things. That seems perfectly normal, um, not to mention the fact that nobody catches that Jane is sitting next to Harry the Tiger. <laughs> in disguise. Yep. <laughs> Dis- disguise? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. He's wearing a trench coat. And a hat. And a hat. It's really the hat that makes the difference. <laughs> From a distance, you can't really tell. It's what we call the Ben Grimm disguise, if you ever read old Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> probably new Fantastic Four, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably true. And it's so, Gazinga starts working his voodoo magic on... Nanu and like so like when he starts running at one point like he can't actually run because Gazinga's working his magic on him. Another point he throws the javelin and the javelin actually turns around and comes back and lands behind him. You know, those sorts of things. Slapsticky silly humor. That's not funny. <laughs> it's more funny just calling it slapsticky humor. Yeah. Uh, until it's actually Milo who figures out that that's what's going on. And it's Milo who comes up with the solution because we didn't mention this earlier, but Milo had taken a voodoo doll from Gazinga. Now how the, so he takes the voodoo doll and he takes a feather and sticks it in the voodoo doll's head, which of course then makes the voodoo doll Gazinga because nobody else in the room has feathers on their head or in the stadium. No, no, no. He, so if you go back, he plucked the feather off of Gazinga really early on in the movie. I cannot be expected to keep up with that sort of plot development in this film. <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe with all the elements of this film, they actually like had something like that tying the beginning and the end of the movie together. I have to feather. Think, yeah, yeah. I have to think that's, that's mere coincidence. <laughs> I can, I give the, the makers of this film credit for that. All right. <laughs> so his solution is he, he does that. He doesn't actually know that it's Gazinga, the voodoo doll, but he throws the voodoo doll over his shoulder. It lands in a pail of water, which forces Gazinga, the witch doctor, to fly over the back of the stands into the nearby pool. And he gets he good won. marks from the judges. Yes. Now, why the judges are at the pool, I'm not really sure. <laughs> is anybody? No. Uh, and then Nanu goes on and wins the the track meet and then Gazinga comes back at the end of the track meet he's like so proud of him he's like yay and Leopold 
disappears after that point, and we don't know what happened to him. Does it? Because he was well, he gets such an important by, character. He gets chased off by Harry. Ah, uh, yes, he does get chased off by Harry the Tiger. It's true. And Jane decides that she's going to relocate to um, Africa. Yeah, well, as, that's what I was going to yep. say. The next bit is as they're checking out of the hotel, uh, Milo and, and Coach Archer figure out that uh, Nanu's gone. They go to meet him at the airport to try and talk him out of it. And there's Jane. Because, you know, they've spent so much time together over the course of the movie. They have fallen in love, and they're now going to run away to Africa. And by so much time, I mean I think they were together in a scene for about three minutes total. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, sure. I mean, run away with the loincloth man. That seems to work out well for women named Jane. <laughs> <laughs> run away with the loincloth man. All right. I think here we also get the scene with Mrs. Peterson saying goodbye to Harry the Tiger. Yes. Oh, and, and, to, and offering a lawyer. And finding him a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Because he's in a cage. She thinks he's a good kid and she's going to get him out. Um, spoilers, <laughs> she's not, because he's a tiger. <laughs> not, she's not going to get him out for good behavior? She lied? No, he's, he's not in the sequel. <laughs> oh, did you know that they were going to make a sequel? Uh, it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> because one wasn't bad enough. Yeah, they planned it. Well, they planned it because it did well in the theater. It just never happened. Probably because they couldn't, probably couldn't get Jan Michael Vincent back at that point. No, well, but, yeah, they would yeah. have to do the Asian guy. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's right. We, did, we <laughs> yeah. might as well mention the end of the movie then. Yeah, the end of the movie is they, <laughs> that the coach, all disappointed, goes to China again Randomly. with Milo. Uh, and they're in China and they see uh, something. I can't remember what it is that they see running. A, a pony or a horse of some a horse sort. yeah and then it's the same gag it's like oh that's that horse is fast not as fast as this guy and here comes this chinese man running in green screen yeah. and I, there I goes did, the coach chasing after him and there goes screen. my reason to live because i spent 90 <laughs> minutes watching this movie it wasn't just it wasn't just the it wasn't a green screen of china even it was a green screen of a painting of the great wall of china on the hills of hollywood that's bad. <laughs> That's not what you want. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a bad movie. <laughs> like, really bad. Oh. Yeah, this is the kind of movie that you really want, like, MST3K to go do. Oh. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think they would have a really good time with this movie. I think this would be a must for them, yes. I keep coming back to, in my mind, I think about scenes that they would really have fun with. And I keep thinking about the scene where Mrs. Peterson is out in the yard and she's talking to a dress because she thinks it's apparently the next door neighbor. And she's watering the tiger. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a great shot, too. I mean, just because somebody had to be creative enough to think of what she might do being blind. <laughs> it was also unclear to me if she was actually talking to Dress or talking to Harry. I was so confused. <laughs> oh, I was sure that she was talking to the Dress. Yeah. Like I was, I was fairly certain she thought that was her neighbor. Yeah. Also, when she tells him to go to bed, the TV is also a good scene. <laughs> yes. Mrs. Peterson and Harry the Tiger is really the undeveloped relationship here. It that should have been the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, this is this is like a bad movie. <laughs> I mean, like, there's no other way to say it. It's just a bad movie. Okay, then we don't have to torture ourselves any longer. No, not at all. Uh, I, let's... I have one last thing to add, though. Yes. I just wanted to say for those of who might want this information, there is a comic book adaptation that is Walt Disney Showcase number 14. Oh, no. That should not exist. <laughs> but it does. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> don't waste your money, folks. <laughs> Please don't. No. Don't even waste your Like, I know one of our friends, like, w- wants to watch every movie before. I'm like... Don't waste your money, and she's going to no. waste her money watching this movie. I'm like, <laughs> no, no. We watched it so you don't have to. Okay? That's what I'm telling you right now. All right. And for the uh, listener who suggested this, if you love this movie, we're very sorry. We, we are. <laughs> but we're sorry we had to see it, too. So I think it goes both ways. We've all learned something, and we're better people because of it. All right. Uh... Here we are at the end of the film. Let's rate it and get it out of our memory banks uh, very quickly. Uh, Rachel, why don't you take the first stab here? Okay. Um, <laughs> I know that we just spent a whole lot of time talking about how terrible this movie is. And it is awful. Like, it's really bad. <laughs> but for me, I have a threshold uh, where, you know, movie is like like just bad, bad or where it's entertaining bad for me. And this one actually kind of falls on the ladder. Like, it's really awful, but it's so terrible. And I was just so amazed at how terrible it was that for one time watching this, I enjoyed it. Um, So I would say the quality of this movie is probably right around one and a half stars. But my enjoyment of the movie, the one time that I did watch it and spent the entire time riffing on it, was probably close to three and a quarter stars. Okay, let's let's do it my other favorite way. You spent three dollars. You still feel like you got three dollars <laughs> worth of a movie. <laughs> um, did I get three dollars worth of it? Uh, I will say I think I got three dollars worth of entertainment out of okay. it. But it was it was from the riffing on it and from just my amazement that this movie exists, that it got made, that it, it happened, and that. All of these people signed off on it, from the script to the performers. <laughs> I mean, how many people had to say yes? This is this is totally up to Disney standards before you know before they even started filming, much less actually released it in theaters. I I can answer that question. Um, none of them should have done that. They should all have 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 gotten better ideas because I'm I am with you though on the riffing thing because um, I'll go next and say that uh, you know I I am with you like if you can riff on a movie that's better than if you if it's just completely outright boring um, and this is definitely one you can riff on you can you can watch this and uh, you can you can riff on it to a, to a huge deal. Um, that still doesn't make it good. I would give it a one because they did manage to turn the cameras on and they did manage to capture something on film. <laughs> and, you know, congratulations for that. All right, Cheryl, what do you think? I'm going with a one and two quarters. One, 1.25, that's me. I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm not as much as you guys with the riffing stuff because it was... <laughs> I mean, it was funny, it, like, the Harry the Harry thing was funny, but it wasn't, like, you know, I didn't like as much as riffing. I want my $2 back, but, my $3 back, but, 
Obviously, I can't get that because I watched a movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wish. All right, Todd, you have the last word here. I do. Um, so, like I said, I have nostalgic love for this movie. <laughs> not like, believe me, I'm not giving it four stars. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like it's a two movie, but because of nostalgia, I'm going to give it two and a quarter. Because let's face it, it's light years above like your chihuahuas and stuff like that. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I, I don't know that I can say that with any confidence. <laughs> so that's how I feel. All right. Uh, I think I think we summed it up pretty perfectly when uh, Cheryl was saying that that no, you guys don't need to spend your money on this. But anyway, all right. So this is our look at uh, the world's greatest athlete. If you guys agree with us or disagree with us, uh, let us know. Um, hopefully you're not going to watch this and subject yourself to the horror. But if you do, we would love to hear. Uh, but we are not paying for your therapy. So let us know at Facebook or Twitter. You can find <laughs> us. Or, of course, you can email us, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. You can listen to the show on iTunes, and if you do that, we'd appreciate it if you go and leave a review or a rating. Uh, it helps people find the show when they go in and search for a new podcast. And then, of course, you can always find us on Stitcher or on Diz Dad's Radio. All right, so that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, for Cheryl and Todd and Rachel, I'm Ryan. We'll see you again soon. Well, champ, we're on our way. Nothing can stop us now. I'll have what he's having. My country is currently investing to attract more doctors. In research facilities, no golf courses. I guess they were both guilty. <laughs>